This is Broadcast, Talking TV, recorded at Maple Street Studios. Hello, I'm Jake Cantor and welcome to Talking TV. In the week where hundreds of TV stars signed a letter pleading for BBC Three's rescue, we hear from the channel's digital controller, Damien Kavner, at Creative Week. Also on the programme, ITV's indie takeover rampage continues and we bring you the latest on our Backing the BBC campaign. Finally, we'll get comfortable on the sofa to watch Channel 4's The Tribe and BBC At War on BBC Two. That's all coming up on Talking TV from Broadcast. Joining me at Maple Street Studios are Broadcast International Editor Peter White and Faraz Osman, the Director of Lemonade Money. What's going on? Pretty busy. We've got a lot of stuff going on. Force of the Floor is in production for the second season. Second series? Second series. Is, is that happening. an exclusive? Talking TV I d- exclusive? I don't know. Well, I'm not going to say that. I don't know. Listen, we're all working hard on it, so enough people know about it now. But it's uh, that's coming on air very soon, oh, so that's, that's really exciting. We've got a few other bits and pieces on the go. Festival season started, so we're trucking around the country, filming some new music. It's all good. Glastow? Uh, I'm going to. We're going to Glasgow. Tell us we're about your tent, that. Faraz. Well, we, I had a production. Jess, bless her, she's managed to sort us out a ridiculous size yurt. Um, we're, so we're doing it in in the worst ponciest possible way, which I'm very very happy about. He's got a yurt. A yurt. I don't even know how to spell yurt. That sounds awesome. Pete, you're going as well. I am, but mine's just a basic uh, Argos tent, so I, nothing as no, fancy yurts. as Faraz's. I've never been to Glastonbury, so I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Should be a good. One. Apparently, I shouldn't see any bands. Is what I keep getting getting told. You don't see any music. <laughs> You can watch it all on the BBC. Oh, See, look, seamlessly brought back for broadcasting. In my yurt. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, let's crack on with the news, shall we? Uh, first up is ITV's UK Indie Land Grab. In the past two weeks, the commercial broadcaster has taken full control of Poldark producer Mammoth Screen, set up a new production hub with three objective executives and the Peep Show Indies co-founder Andrew O'Connor. And if that's not enough, it is understood that ITV is close to finalising a deal to acquire 2-4 Group. Uh, Pete? Yeah, it doesn't seem like this is stopping anytime soon. Um, they seem to be buying up everything and, and anything uh, by the sounds of it. Um, obviously, Mammoth Screen is a, a big deal for, for their drama ambition. Um, this is one of Julian Bellamy's first deals since he um, took over at uh, ITV Studios. So that's interesting. The 2-4 deal uh, would be huge if it closes. Obviously, 2-4, not only the uh, the eponymous indie, they've got all of the other um, labels, whether you've got Oxford Scientific, you've got Main Street. Um, so there's plenty of stuff there. And then, yeah, basically buying all of the senior executives at Objective, apart from Andrew Newman. Talk us through that deal, because it's quite interesting, isn't it? Absolutely. So it's it's quite a complicated deal. So they have set up a new company called Cats on the Roof Media, which is a, a sort of um, holding company set up by Andrew O'Connor, um, one of the Objective founders. Um, and within that, he's got two other labels. One's called Game Face, which will be run by Adam Adler, who's the creator of The Cube. Um, and one of the other companies is called Second Act Productions, which will do scripted comedy. They haven't found a boss for that yet. Um, Paul Sandler, who's uh, Objective Managing Director, is coming along as well. Um, and I'm sure there's a few other a few other names that they're uh, they're going to be setting up within that. So yeah, this this really helps ITV Studios Entertainment um, business. Obviously, when you've got the guys from the Cube and and some of those shows, then this will really sort of plug a gap. I mean, ITV hasn't really had a ITV Studios hasn't really had a, an entertainment hit. Um, of the size of I'm a Celebrity or Saturday Night Takeaway for a few years. So this will, they're hoping, will uh, will help that. address that. Mm-hmm. Not everyone's happy, though. Uh, the argument is that ITV is becoming increasingly vertically integrated, making it harder for other indies to win business. Uh, Left Bank Pictures boss Andy Harry has compared ITV to a citadel. <laughs> Good Faraz, do you agree with this? 
it's it's it is scary um, when you consider what's going on across the business where. Obviously, Channel 4 are doing their deals, and that's caused some questions. Um, Sky have obviously picked up Love Productions as well. So, you know, it is a little bit worrying when you know that you're pitching for the same slots and these guys have got a lot more money, a lot, a much bigger development team, and, and the year from a business point of view of, of the channel as well. It, it kind of feels like it's loading the deck slightly. But the reality is that this is where the business is going. You know, you might want to consider rechanging the name of broadcast to acquisition. It's just that this is, it, it's, the business <laughs> is about, is less about share on, on screen now and less about audience figures and, and more about who can create the format hits and sell them worldwide. And this feels like it's a juggernaut that keeps keeps ploughing on. You're, you're, I mean, you're a reasonably small production company in this in this jungle. Do you find this concerning? Is it is it harder to win business? Genuinely, I think the market is changing. We've we've made particular steps to diversify where our customers are from, and and that's worked for us. So so whereas before you would have indies that just would target television. We're now looking at brands, we're looking at PR companies, we're looking at other avenues where we can sell video. Um, and that's working for us. But I think if we were just a TV production company and that's all we only made stuff for broadcast screen, this would be a real concern for us because there's it, it feels like it's an uneven playing field now where you've got these massive hyper indies on one side who aren't owned by broadcasters and then broadcasters having a, a, a stake, a significant stake in in other indies on the other side. And then you've got us who are truly independent and, and everybody kind of feels like sometimes pats us on the head and goes, oh, you guys are the good guys and, you know, keep keep flying the flag. That's great. We're going to go and speak to our guys over here and <laughs> speak, we'll to see, our, speak to our new acquisition. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll see you at Edinburgh in two years' time. But it's like, it, that's so that it is a worry. It is a concern when it comes to television. But it's in the context of what's going on when it comes to broadcast. And as audience figures keep dropping and share keeps dropping across the board, when it comes to attention... You have to start thinking about other avenues that you can keep this business alive. And so from ITV's point of view, it's incredibly shrewd and I can't knock them for that. I think it's great news for 2-4. It's great news for, for all of those guys as they keep continuing to grow in, in what an industry that people have looked at and gone, this is going to be the next newspaper that's going to disappear. But actually, a lot of people are still making a lot of money and still still going in the right direction. It's mirroring what's happening in the States. If you look at, at the US, basically you've got four, five big studios and this will be the same, where these guys make their shows for their networks, um, and with maybe one or two um, examples otherwise. But generally, the business is, is you know, they, they will take from their in-house because that's where they can make the money, whether they can make the money internationally, where they can sort of make the secondary rights and all that sorts of things. So, yeah, this is where it's going. OK, well, let's stick with acquisitions briefly. Maybe we should rename the magazine. I'm not sure. Chinese broadcaster Zhang Zhu has its eye trained on some UK indies, is that right? Yeah, exactly. This is the first example we've we've really heard. We've been hearing that the Chinese are, have been looking at, at UK production companies. But, um, but you've got it, an example, haven't you? <laughs> absolutely. Well, in, in terms of Discovery and All3, um, when um, when All3 was for sale, uh, apparently a Chinese company was close to close to buying it um, before Discovery and Liberty Global uh, snapped it up. But yeah, this is it's this is sort of the first one that we've heard that's actively been out there chasing. Um, at MIP TV, we sort of understand that they were talking to some of the bigger companies, talking to some of the sort of well-known big independent uh, production companies. So this will be fascinating if this happens. Obviously, there's been a lot of talk about American studios and American companies coming in and buying up every uh, every little indie. But if the Chinese start taking over, they've got more money than uh, even the Americans. So yeah, this could be uh, could be really fascinating. Fraught with complication, though, I'd imagine. Uh, absolutely. We don't really know how um, the political situation... Um, but these are big media groups, so um, I'm not sure there's going to be much from their point of view, whether Christ knows 
knows how uh, how it'll pan out um, over here. But yeah, no, they can they can certainly certainly afford it. Okay, well we'll have to watch uh, this space on that one. Uh, next up is broadcast campaign of qualified support for the BBC. Uh, more progress on this front after Hollywood directors such as Tom Hooper and high profile writers backed Auntie. Uh, this week the unions came out in force to support the BBC. And Broadcast staged a public meeting at Westminster where Shadow Culture Secretary Chris Bryant spoke. Uh, he backed the licence fee for 10 more years and said the Beeb would need extra funding or it will wither on the vine. Uh, he basically sort of set out Labour's position on, uh, on licence fee, which for the BBC seems like reasonably good news. He's going to fight for the licence fee and uh, you know, increased funding. Uh, that is surely going to carry some weight in the in the halls of Westminster. Good. I mean, I think that the, the more that we we get behind the BBC and and demonstrate that as a as an industry, as a as a creative industry as a whole, we support what is one of our biggest assets. The, the better. I think that I think the campaign that you guys are running is is excellent. I'm literally signing up to it now on my live. phone because I've live I've done this because <laughs> I've realised I've not done it yet, which is terrible. But and I think it's really important that we have this debate and not feel like we're saying that everything the BBC does is brilliant and everything the BBC does is is right. But as an institution, it's, I would argue, one of the best broadcasting institutions and media institutions in the world. And we have to support it. We have to do what we can to protect it. It's, to me, a complete nonsense that we're even arguing the fact that we should, you know, look at a world beyond the BBC in the UK. It's an asset of ours. It demonstrates how we can play. I mean, we've talked a lot about Chinese people investing into um, into UK production companies. People are looking at us as the envy of the world when it comes to factual formats. And, and a lot of that is to do with the fact that of how our industry is set up, where we have public service broadcasters. It's bonkers that anybody would question it. Now, I would say that we need to start rethinking how the licence fee is collected and how it's structured because at the moment it doesn't really feel like it's fit for purpose anymore. And there are a few arguments that the BBC are having that feel like they're outdated slightly. So there are things that that need to be challenged and questioned. But when it comes to funding it and when it comes to allowing it to continue to do what it does, it has to continue. Pete, I mean, you're our international editor. We've, uh, you know, touched on this briefly a few times in the campaign about the BBC's sort of international standing and how it helps, uh, you know, UK as a whole with soft power overseas. Absolutely. Talk us through that. It's the envy of the world. Um, You go to events. uh, I was out in real screen in January and and the British ambassador puts out an event uh, with, you know, all of the TV execs and says this is one of the most important export businesses uh, Britain has. And that is largely down to the BBC. People think of it outside of outside of the UK as as something that they would all aspire to have. Um, The Americans are really jealous that they don't have something like that. And, you know, when they look at shows that we produce they are absolutely loving the the BBC and and the fact that BBC Worldwide we all call BBC Worldwide in the UK outside of the the UK it's just the BBC Um, so these guys are you know if you look at what Worldwide's revenues are doing internationally that's because it's the BBC Um, no one makes a distinction um, between between the BBC and the commercial arm outside of this uh, this country and Sherlock big in China uh... (laughs) absolutely absolutely (laughs) huge okay well we'll stick with the BBC briefly um, because it had a busy Sheffield Dockfest and uh, uh, this is where we're going to Come to our commission of the fortnight. Uh, Charlotte Moore and Kim Schillinglaw announced a raft of orders for BBC One and BBC Two, respectively. Both will experiment with fixed rig filming pretty much for the first time. Uh, Keogh Films will rig hospitals to follow cancer patients uh, for three parts of BBC One series Cancer. Uh, BBC Two, meanwhile, will use the filming technique to watch conscious uncouplings in Wild Pictures series The Divorce Clinic. Uh, does this get you going? 
For us, I can't possibly comment on that. I've just got married. You're asking me if like fixed rigs in a divorce clinic gets me going. No, it absolutely doesn't. It's not exactly uplifting, is it? Well, it does. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's a really strong point. It feels like we're are we moving towards doomsday television now. We've gone <laughs> and we moved from the warm bath to like the cold shower. Is that where we're happening? You know, I, I think that it's fixed rigs are always fascinating. They're, they're easy and fairly cheap to produce. It makes sense to do them. Doesn't I, it feel that, that fixed rig is, is had its moment? I can't. Yeah. Well, I mean, I. For me, obviously, always it's always about the story, and and if you can get some new characters and use some some new stories using those techniques, then great. It does worry me that everything will start looking the same on television, and I think that will be you know. There's the, I was thinking we're going to chat about a show later, and it felt like it had the same theme tune that a million other shows had, and it's where we are getting to a point where it feels a little bit across the board. Everything's everything's getting a little bit samey samey, which would be a shame, but. Don't judge it till you see it, as I always say. Late to the party, do you think, Pete? It does certainly feel that way, doesn't it? Um, I yeah. mean, they, they have dabbled, just to be clear. They've of done course. it in some natural history programming, but of course. not on this scale, I don't think. No, and I understand that. It just feels that they're really trumpeting the fact that this is fixed rig, rather than actually a, a documentary about cancer, if done well, could be could be fascinating. And Christ, a divorce clinic, you should be able to get some stories out of that. Um, both of those sound like interesting ideas. I just don't understand why they need to herald the fact that these are fixed rig formats. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think I think the idea that fixed rigs continue to be innovative is is a bit odd. You know, if it's just great stories, I think looking at stories about how people are dealing with cancer and coping with cancer, it affects so many of us in the UK. That's really fascinating. Looking at divorce, that's really fascinating. Why I think I absolutely agree with Pete. Why you need to kind of trumpet the fact of how it's being filmed? You should just use a technique of, of whatever it takes to get the best stories Probably out. Doesn't there. care how it was filmed. Hundred percent agree. And Channel Four are doing a divorce documentary filmed in the same way. From, yeah, divorce from, is hot. There's Divorce yeah. Hotel as well, which is an international format. Yeah, divorce is uh, is really hot. It's this hot year. right now. On that uplifting note, that's the news for this episode. My thanks to Pete and Faraz. <laughs> A little change to the regular format now as talking TV breaks out into the real world. Uh, last week was Creative Week, where the industry's great and good descended on BAFTA to discuss the future of media in the UK and worldwide. We'll speak to a few movers and shakers in a moment. But first, the BBC's Danny Cohen gave the first keynote speech, speaking to broadcast editor Chris Curtis. Top of the agenda was charter renewal, and he began by talking about the threat of cuts to the BBC licence fee and what effect that might have on services. If the BBC takes on more uh, financial obligations, we've got less money to spend on content. It's as, it's as simple as that. You know, that if, if we took on one of those things at Decrim or uh, over 75s payments licence fees, we just make less programmes. And it may also mean less services. The BBC has 26% less money than it did in the last charter, 26%. Any company, any business would have to make some quite radical changes if it was asked to take 26% out. 1.5 billion annually by the time we reach 2017. You cannot do that without making some big changes. The question that you then ask yourself if you've got to make that amount of changes is, how do you have the most impact with less money? And it, one of the things that I think has been misrepresented a bit in this debate is that young people exist in a, much as I love BBC Three and spent a very valuable to me chunk of my career helping to build BBC Three, the idea that young people are ghettoised on BBC Three and don't watch the other BBC services is ridiculous. More young people watch BBC One, however much I love BBC Three and value it, than watch BBC Three. And I can, I can give you one good example of that so that people understand that what you do on BBC Three is not the whole answer to, to the BBC's future of young people. Uh, b uh, young people, 16 to 34 is an average, watch two hours and 27 minutes of BBC One every week. 
on average, 1634s watch 35 minutes of BBC Three a week. Uh, alongside that, five times as many people, uni young people, uniquely watch uh, BBC One as BBC Three. So if you've got less money, and if you want to think about how you reach young people most effectively, you've always, always, at the heart of any BBC television strategy, have got to back BBC One. OK, um, finally on BBC Three then. There's been some pretty vocal opposition. It's been uh, very enjoyable. <laughs> Mess Messrs Marvel and Thode have made their case, a case which has been slightly muddled, I think, in terms of the, the initial suggesting that they might buy BBC Three. But there is some interesting work that they've done around other potential alternatives. One of their suggestions is that this, this is spectrum that was allocated in the Charter to serve young audiences directly, and that that spectrum could be used to have a, a channel which would be more akin to Channel Four, would carry advertising but be not-for-profit and reinvest back in content. They've also suggested a, a UK TV style model. Were, the, were those um, ideas, those possibilities explored by the corporation? We, we heard those ideas, but we, we had a strategy that we believe is the right one, and we want to pursue it. Um, and that's gone to public value test, it's gone to the trust, the trust will in the end decide. Uh, I, I know that Jimmy and John have talked to the trust about their ideas, and they will have a look at them too, I'm sure. Uh, but we feel that's the right strategy and the, and the one we want to pursue. So that's what we're trying to do. Also at the event was an exasperated BBC Three controller, Damien Kavanagh. Uh, he spoke to me after the Q&A. I said it before, and I think it's worth reiterating it again. I think what we're going to do on BBC Three is really concentrate on the things, building on the things that we already do very well. I've said that we're going to continue commissioning shows like Cuckoo, like Uncle, like Life on Death Row, like Murder by My Boyfriend. And then we'll build on that. And I think the one thing that we really want to do is to try and develop new forms of content that we can release to the audience on a daily basis. BBC Three, as it's funded now, doesn't have a new piece of content every day of the week, so we don't have something fresh and new for the audience. We're going to build a daily proposition that will be around topical, uh, fast turnaround content, some sh um, some commission stuff, a real mix and I think it's going to be something that's going to be really exciting and engaging for our young audience and we're going to tell them stories in that way that they love in addition to the long form stuff that we're really really good at and we've always done. Uh, one of the interesting things you said is that filmmakers are quite secretive mm. during the process of production, everything's under wraps, you're getting on with the job. Mm. And you might open that up a bit yes. with the new BBC Three. Well, I just think it's really um, important that I think, you know, the idea that we just have a ta-da moment where we say to people, this is it, and that all our social media and our marketing effort is just focused at that moment of release. To me, just t today, and when you understand how young people engage with stories and engage with content that they love, just seems a bit daft. And I think, what's wrong with kind of telling people about the story and what's been discovered along the way? I think, you know, I was quite interested to um, discover what Disney did around Frozen. Uh, they released the songs before they released the movie. Disney's normally been a, 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 a company that's been quite secretive. And what it meant is by the time the audience got to the cinema, there was a load of fans in the cinema who they could sing, sing along and they could enjoy it in a different way. So I just really want to try, I think what BBC Three can do if we're really successful online is we can engage the audience in totally different ways and have content, conversations rather with them on a daily basis. And we've got, we're commissioning and we've got the money behind the content where we're creating brilliant stories. And I just feel like it needs to elongate a little bit and, you know, not just all about one moment. Uh, you've shared a platform with Vice. Yes. One of the things they're looking to do in the US, or so reportedly looking to do, is to to launch a channel mm. via a &E Networks, mm. rebranding H2 as Vice. Yeah. Uh, is it a bit counterintuitive that a, a big established online player is trying to get into television and BBC3 is doing the opposite? 
Um, you know, I think there's no secret the BBC Three's decision was made initially because of the amount of money we have. Um, channels are really expensive to run. But however, we're not getting out of television and the BBC Three content's not going out of television. I don't know where this idea has ever come from. We have massive TV networks in the UK. We've got the biggest network in the UK for young people in BBC One. All BBC Three's long-form content will play on BBC One or Two and that is absolutely guaranteed. I've got great relationships with both Kim and Charlotte who run both of those channels and that content will be in um, you know slots that are available for young audiences on BBC um, One and Two. So I'm, I'm not, we're not getting out of television in my mind by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, just finally quickly uh, Danny Cohen uh, was on stage earlier described the ongoing campaign from Jimmy Mulville and John Thode as very enjoyable. Are you looking forward to the debate continuing? Yes, I'm <laughs> looking forward to the debate continuing. You know, listen, to be honest with you, I am trying to do something. We're trying to commission great shows and great content for our, our young audiences. We're trying to build this proposal and do something different. I think regardless of whether the trust agree for the channel to be turned off, off or not, we're going to be doing more online. I'm developing that. You know what, to be honest with you, I kind of keep my head down during the day and do the stuff. And the people I want to serve and the people I really care about are young audiences. We've always made brilliant content for them on BBC3. And I want to continue doing that so the conversation can happen it will happen i'm sure but i'm busy kate bulkley's with me media journalist extraordinaire so we've just seen uh, damien kavanagh from bbc3 on stage with vice and facebook what did you make of that well i think it's interesting that damien said things like we are looking at facebook and vice and twitter and all these people and saying what are things that we could do that would be better different than we are doing now you know why do we need to commission things that are only half an hour or an hour why do we need to um, think about stuff that's only linear? Why can't we have more of a conversation? Why don't we think about these other um, platforms as just distribution hubs? It's not like it's really going to change the quality of the content. We're just going to talk to people in a different way. And he actually showed uh, a couple, one piece, I guess, was about transgender people. But actually they had, I think it was four million hits on Facebook, which was fascinating, I thought, you know, that they were using that platform. But for me, the thing that was also really interesting was to listen to how Facebook and Vice are talking about, quote, television production or, you know, content production. Vice is saying, we look to brands to fund stuff. We also have an advertising and sponsorship, but we also have a commissioning budget. If there's something we really want to do, we will put money behind it. Whereas Facebook doesn't have anything like that. Not yet, anyway. They will fund stuff through brands and through sponsorship, but as far as I could tell from the man we heard upstairs, there's no independent budget to actually engage with producers on, let's say, commission content that doesn't have some kind of brand, sponsorship, native advertising, whatever word we're using this week. And Vice, of course, potentially launching on television in the US, which is the complete opposite of what BBC Three is doing over here in the UK. What was interesting when uh, he said that and the, the Vice guy said, you know, it's really a shame that BBC Three can't do both. Why can't they have a television channel and be online? He says, I guess I've heard the, the, the arguments, and of course this all that you get into all the BBC, you know, license funding stuff. And he says, but you know, it's really a shame because of course Vice, as you very, you know, wisely note, not only do they have an HBO deal, but they're also getting on a channel in Canada. They're also trying to do a deal with a and &E. I mean, you know, they obviously want to be on television as well as online. And just quickly, I mean, Danny Cohen obviously uh, warning that if they get a rough licensing deal, then more cuts are coming al uh, along the way. 
Yes. Well, I mean, basically, I think he's saying, look, we can't cut it any finer. Um, we've, we, you know, we will continue to save money, but if we have to, if we decriminalize, if we do all these things, start, you know, spending the money to for the over 75s, that could cut into, that will cut into programming budgets. We will have less money to put creative content on air. That is a bad thing. So, I mean, you know, and he would say that. He's the head of television, and you know, that's. I think that should be his position. So, you know, more power to him. You know, let the fight begin. I say. Danny Fenton's with me now, chief exec of uh, Zigzag and sometime talking TV contributor. Uh, what did you make of uh, the two sessions? I thought um, they were both distinct in their own way. Um, it was interesting to hear Danny talking about the vision for BBC going forwards. Um, I thought he, you know, politically kept uh, kept a lot under his uh, under his hat. And then the, um, the digital session, what was interesting for me, and that's why I asked the question, is what are the opportunities for the production community? And uh, that was, you know, it's still, I think, less clear with, um, with the new emerging players like Vice and Facebook, but obviously with BBC Three, they gave a, a, as clear as they can a vision of what the opportunities are. Danny was quite clear that uh, the BBC it's not giving much consideration to tendering out programmes, which seems to be becoming one of the main issues of this debate around BBC Studios. What were your views on that? Um, you know, he's an he's an ace politician, Danny, and I think you know he answered the questions actually in a very compelling, convincing way, which was to say that you know he saw the opportunities to be protecting. BBC's interest so he didn't want to give away the crown jewels because he felt by taking away the the wok that was giving uh, producers outside the BBC an opportunity so he was saying you know effectively they're opening the door but at the same time they're not going to give away you know the, the things that they depend upon. Uh, he also talked about getting a rough license fee deal what that might mean for content potential cuts are you backing uh, the BBC uh, as per broadcast campaign absolutely backing it per <laughs> broadcast campaign and I think from a producer's point of view we need a strong BBC in this country and as, as Danny said you know there are already cuts that have had to take place and running the BBC like a business if the license fee gets cut further then that's going to have massive impacts on the production community so you know, it's imperative that we all support the BBC and support broadcast campaign to support the BBC. Uh, Zigzag Chief Executive Danny Fenton there. Uh, so there was three days of insight at Creative Week, which was organised by uh, broadcast parent company MBI. Uh, for all the fallout, head to broadcastnow.co.uk. Uh, still with me are Peter White and Faraz Osman, and it's time for some previews. Uh, let's get stuck in. First up is BBC at War with Jonathan Dimbleby. Uh, there is a comma in that title, I'm sure, as rather than waging war on a presenting dynasty, this two-part documentary is a portrayal of how the BBC fought Hitler and Whitehall during World War II. Produced by Fresh One Productions, here's a taste of the first episode. In due course, the microphones did pick up the sound of gunfire. It was not very much, but enough to excite the Radio Times, which trumpeted the BBC's scoop as an illustration of what would be possible in the months ahead. But the BBC's broadcasting first did not meet with universal acclaim. Far from it. In fact, the press barons were outraged, seeing this as a threat to their preeminence. And they rose up as one to demand 
that reports from the front by the BBC should only be transmitted after the news had already appeared in their newspapers. But the BBC was beginning to flex new muscles and it retorted firmly and formally. A return to the pre-war arrangement in respect of news would seriously damage not only the reputation of the BBC, but what was of far greater importance, the prestige of the nation as a whole. This time, the press backed off. I could listen to him for hours, I think. Um, Pete, this is quite a canny commission, given what uh, the political situation is for the BBC at the moment, isn't it? Possibly. It's a really interesting idea, and I really wanted to like it. I was really intrigued by the the sort of notion of, of what was going on then, but I just felt that it felt... The documentary itself felt a bit boring. And the way it was told, um, obviously, as you say there, his voice is great. But, you know, I did find myself uh, sort of finding myself thinking about other things while I was watching this. Um, it was a bit inside baseball. I thought it was a bit BBC. I thought I'm not sure particularly whether um, it felt a little bit like they were sort of patting themselves on the back a bit. Um, but then, hey, um, I come on this show to, to tear apart all the TV that uh, that we seem to produce. So, hey. <laughs> Braz, you share that view? It's it's an odd show. It's it's a fascinating story. I think it's really worth telling. And I think that there's some really interesting tidbits that come out of it. But the way it's produced is bizarre. Um, he keeps referencing his, his dad as Mr. Dimbleby. <laughs> yeah, it's that like, was It's odd. your dad. Like, and so you lose, you lose any personal touch from it, from having him present it. They go to all of these amazing locations. They go to Berlin, they go to the White Cliffs of Dover, they're obviously in Bush House, which are the most beautiful buildings. They're shot really, like, I wouldn't say badly, but it just feels like it's an after... The actual TV-ness of it feels like an afterthought. Um, they've gone, this is a great story, brilliant. They've written an amazing essay. It feels like a brilliant radio programme. And then you get it to TV, and it's like... It, it just feels like it's been phoned in from a TV production point of view, which is a real shame, because I think that there was an opportunity to to do something that, that looked as good as it sounded and as, as good as the story was. But by the time I saw the 15th... BBC old radio or BBC microphone on a turntable turning round while there was a bit of archive of audio over it. I just all was shots like, of Bush, uh, old broadcasting house, or yeah, it's I'm just, just like there are so there are so many amazing cameras that are out there now. There are so many amazing techniques to film stuff that's out there now. If you're going to do stuff on TV about history, let's look at how we can do it in an interesting way rather than just put radio on the telly, which feels like an old but isn't this for the dad's army off, uh, audience you know doesn't mean it? they're not allowed to look at things in a nice way <laughs> you know it's it's even it's even simple things like that he's he stands in a white cliff to dover and and there's some great archive audio about a, a journalist who stood there and and reported on what he saw at the time and it's just got this weird wistful cutaway shots of some birds in the sky and it's a bit like really this is an amazing bit of audio archive you've got here Come on, let's let's see some some good technique that we can use when we're filming it as well. You've gone all the way over there, you know. Let's let's actually film it in a nice way. I, I, I don't know. I, I no, was, I agree. I agree. Uh, uh, the audio is great. The the, yeah. the archive is great, isn't it? The yeah. the audio archive is great, but yeah. actually a lot of it is just rostrum pictures and and audio archive. And so if that's the case, you have to give me a good reason why this is on TV. And I, I failed to see the reason why it was on TV as a, as a book, as an essay, as an amazing magazine article, as a radio documentary. Totally, I'm 100% sold. As a TV program, I was a bit unsure. Mm. Do you agree, Pete? Yeah, absolutely. It was a bit boring to watch. <laughs> it, I mean, ironic that it would have worked on radio, given that it was mostly about radio. 
that's just common sense as far as I'm concerned. It's <laughs> like, you know, unless you, you really want to see moving pictures of the war when you're watching on TV. And I don't think we, I can't think of any shots I saw that were actually moving pictures of what was happening at the time. I know the BBC weren't doing, I don't know if they were they do, doing television at that time. I don't think they'd started doing you no. know, full on TV at the time. And so they closed down the television service, didn't well, they? Well, so, so as a result, you know, obviously it doesn't connect totally in, in context, but you just feel like you need to see something visually because otherwise you just end up like people say you end up listening to it rather than actually watching it um, which is no bad thing but it, it is when it's taking up airtime on tv uh, bbc at war with jonathan dimbleby debuts on the 14th of june on bbc two finally time to train our remotes to channel four for the tribe uh, this renegade documentary uses fixed rig cameras to provide an intimate portrait of an ethiopian tribe now, this uh, created a little challenge for our producer, given that it's all in an African tribe language. Uh, so uh, at the risk of getting a little metatextual, in this bonus clip uh, from the Channel 4 website, the tribe are shown the final film and then asked to review it. <laughs> Do you think? Yeah. Why? It's very good. I got the go now. The film is nice. We get rain. Everything is good. Oh. We are very happy. So to know what I'm going to That's nice, isn't it? That's <laughs> really cool. <laughs> uh, we were talking about fixed rig. Is it effective in this case? Who wants to come in on is that? Is it fixed rig? Yeah. Is this class it, it fixed is. rig? Yes. I thought it was brilliant. I thought it didn't matter how it was filmed. Um, I thought there were some brilliant moments. I, I think that the character they've got there, the, the, the main the main father of the of the tribe, is brilliant, and he just makes the whole thing. Um, he's sort of this grumpy old man, and he, he makes of, Lord Sugar look happy go lucky. Absolutely, he? but he just sort of seems, even though I mean, the whole point is that you know they're different, but they're the same. But he's a brilliant character. This guy would be a star in in Britain if he was over here. Just the the sort of the the bit with the the kids running around and. And he's this grumpy old man who's teaching his sons how to negotiate and, and then nothing without cattle and donkeys and you just couldn't understand the goats. You know, the, this whole thing about uh, of bidding for a wife and he was really annoyed because he'd sold too many goats to the uh, to the other family was was just, it was really funny. And, and, you know, the fact that this kid had a mobile phone pulling out in the middle of a tribe was another, another great moment. But it didn't really matter how it was filmed. I didn't think the fixed rig was necessarily um, an important part of it. I just thought it was a cracking documentary. Viewers don't think, oh, this is fixed rig, do they? No, I think it's just a case of, of can we get some good characters and good stories out there? And like I said, you just use the best technique to, to make that happen. Um, I, I was really looking forward to this and it didn't quite meet my expectations, whether that's because my expectations were so high because it's such a great idea and such incredible access is, is you know, might be part and parcel of it. The, the, the father character, the grandfather character is brilliant. He is amazing. He holds it together. I, I felt like it was missing a couple of extra stories or a couple of extra characters. It did labour a few points to quite a, a large extent. You know, by the time we got to the retelling of the the, the bidding for the bride story, that, that felt like it, it went on for quite a while. Certainly there there is this, this massive kind of worthy message of oh we're all we're all kind of similar and we're all, all the same around the world. It's like, okay, cool, I, I get it. We're also quite different as well. So let, let me see some light and shade in that space. So it, it didn't completely satisfy what I felt it was gonna be, but it certainly feels like a story that's really worth telling and and it looks lovely the characters are brilliant and um, I think it will be a hit 
Do you uh, think so? Yeah, I think it will be a hit, and I think it's what Channel Four should be doing. And it just it just looks so different from anything else that's on screen at the moment. It's it's interesting that we talk about fixed rig and, and making thing, everything look the same. Again, you know, this just demonstrates that actually, if you if you put it in the right location, you do it in the right way, you just get some good good shots, good content, and good stories. But I I would hope that this gets a little bit more momentum because. It's it's going to be interesting to see if it's, it can retain those viewing figures across the season. Yeah, four episodes. Does that feel like too many, maybe? I don't know. It'll be interesting to see um, what they move on to next. As to We didn't really get a glimpse afterwards whether there was, uh, they were going to concentrate on uh, on the grandfather, uh, dad character, or, or others. I, I love the idea. There's a, there's a great moment where he's introducing his second wife, and he, he can't understand. He calls him, you funny foreigner, for not <laughs> having two wives. He can't understand why someone would just have one. He's uh, also got a very foul mouth. He keeps absolutely. calling all the children effing kids <laughs> but again that was a bit of a hand of a producer thing from my do you think so yeah i mean obviously it's a, it's a translation is, is that a direct translation i mean it's like, <laughs> I, I don't know if yeah talking about the hand of the producer the, the producer voiceover in it i felt was a little bit patronizing and a little bit ham-fisted they, they really tr- did try to dial that up of like oh we're the for- we're the funny like the furry funny foreigners that are going to ask, ask you very simple questions of what do you think about this and it's it's uh, it, uh, it feels like it's trying to emulate that whole John Ronson tone which he does so so well but it's it doesn't for me it doesn't quite land in the way that they deliver it here okay uh, the tribe started on channel 4 on Thursday night and continues for the next 3 weeks that's all we've got time for on this edition of Talking TV. Uh, warm thanks to all my guests, Peter White, Faraz Osman, Damien Kavanagh, Danny Fenton and Kate Bulkley. Phew, I think that's everyone, apart from you listeners. Keep up the good work. I've been Jake Cantor and the producer was Matt Hill. Until next time, goodbye for now. You've been listening to Broadcast, Talking TV, recorded at Maple Street Studios. 